Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. How you doing today, Janie? I'm doing pretty good. I got about four hours of sleep last night, and I'm feeling surprisingly not terrible for it. You know what? I'm so happy for you. <laughs> That's <laughs> How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. I, the last day of work before I get to take a fucking break. Nice. Go out got a state for the terrible holiday that it is (laughs) and you know live live my fucking life hell yeah but we're here today not to talk about our lives or ourselves as people we're here to talk about a a book series by a by an author although maybe our impressions of the book series are informed by our lives and impressions one might say so um so today we're talking about the Red Pyramid some more, everyone. It's it's here. Do you think do you think people thought that we just like skipped straight to Heroes of Olympus from just like halfway through the Red Pyramid? Why would they think that? I don't know, you just you introduced the Red Pyramid, is it? <laughs> oh, I mean maybe they maybe they thought so. Remember they're like, Oh, they're covering the trials of Apollo now. Oh shit. Jane was whinging a lot last week. Maybe she's been lobbying behind the scenes to just switch over to the other series. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really fucking funny, actually. <laughs> Just decide to skip the rest of it. This would be like our lost series. <laughs> but no, in fact, we're continuing. We are. So, Jane. Hello. These chapters are going to be summarized now. Hell yeah. Shall I hit the bricks? Hit the bricks, pal. You're done. What's this? Yeah, never mind. This is from fucking Team Fortress 2. Of course it is. <sighs> Chapter 17. Carter. A bad trip to Paris. The day before the duel, Carter has a vision in his sleep of Set capturing Amos. He wakes with a start and wanders out to explore the gnome at night, eventually spotting Zia sneaking through the courtyard. He follows her to an altar, which turns out to be where pictures of her family are kept for her. When she was a young girl, her father brought home an artifact which ended up unleashing a monster that destroyed her village, leaving her the only survivor. Iskander took her from there. They bond over their respective relationships to the memories, or lack thereof, of their dead parents, and feeling like outcasts. And Carter promises to take her to the mall when everything's said and done. Back in the present, Carter and Sadie rush to the obelisk, pursued by a magician who sends attack sphinxes after them. Sadie manages to get the portal open, but the sphinxes come through with them, and things look bleak for Carter, until Bast returns and then slays the beasts. Chapter 18. Carter. When fruit bats go bad. Huddled together in the Paris rain, Bast reveals that she survived by escaping into the duo during the fight with Circuit. She also helps the siblings accept that they become hosts for two of the gods who escaped from the Rosetta Stone, Horus with Carter and Isis with Sadie. They're both distressed, even more so when Bast says Carter with Horse's power must be the one to defeat Set. They theorize that Dejadin may be Set's current host. Bast reveals that when Julius and Ruby released her from Cleopatra's Needle, more energy was released than expected, and Ruby used all her energy saving Julius, although Bast did offer to merge with her to save her. They make their first plan of action. They're going to break into Dejadin's mansion and steal a spellbook, written by Thoth. They use the powers of Horus and Isis to transform into birds and fly inside, and Carter uses his dad's Shabti, Doughboy, to find the Book of Thoth. 
In their search, Carter discovers that Desjardins is the great-nephew of Jean-Francois Champollion, the guy who deciphered hieroglyphics from the Rosetta Stone. Eventually, they find the book, but it's attached to an unfortunate fruit bat trap, and they make a run for the Louvre, where the nearest portal is. Chapter 19. Sadie. A Picnic in the Sky. Sadie, Carter, and Bast arrive at the Louvre Pyramid, and while Carter keeps the bats away, Sadie opens a portal to the United States, and they end up in the Washington Monument. Sadie's exhausted, and they're running out of relics to make portals of, so they need another way to get to Arizona in the next two days. Bass conjures some food for them, and they talk about the way certain shapes still contain Egyptian power regardless of by who or when they were built, leading Sadie to ask about something she heard one of their pursuers mention, that Bast abandoned her post. Apparently, she had been trapped inside the needle to battle a powerful creature of chaos for eons, though she doesn't think it's possible it escaped with her. When Bast leaves to scout, Sadie and Carter theorize about why exactly their parents decided to release her from the needle, and, you know, surely it must have some bigger plan. Uh, and they commiserate a while, and then go to sleep. Chapter 20, Sadie. I visit the star-spangled goddess. In her sleep, Sadie's ba is moved by the currents of the duat to a void, where she again sees the handsome boy from her last spirit travel, who waves her into a room with a woman whose skin is covered in stars. Nut the goddess of the sky and mother of Osiris, Set, and others. She invites Sadie to have a drink, and they talk for a while. Nut reminds Sadie that Set isn't some pure evil being and has done great good for the world, so maybe it's not as simple as everything being solved and he's defeated. She encourages Sadie to seek out Thoth, who currently lives in Memphis, Tennessee, and creates some plane tickets for her to use as safe travels. Before waking Sadie up, warning her one of Set's minions coming from the monument, she asks Sadie to deliver a letter to her husband, Geb, god of the earth, who she's eternally separated from. When she wakes up, Carter and Bast are already awake and packing, and they prepare to face Setsuni outside. So Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? Uh, I think it's very convenient that uh, Sadie went to ask for the Sky Goddess's help in December, because if she'd done it the previous month, she wouldn't have been allowed. Okay, can you explain this? It was no, not November. Fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode has to be called We Lost No Not November. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's our one joke. That's the one, the one that we're allowed. She, she has already lampshaded in the text that she's sick of it. No, I, I really like these chapters. I feel like the book might actually be starting to uh I, I hate to say the phrase hit its stride no yeah i completely agree these these guys i super enjoy these chapters i think i it's like oh wow i'm finally seeing what all that build up was like actually building up to and it's something that is both capturing the same quality of enjoyment of percy jackson mm-hmm. and also substantively different yeah i feel like the, the best way to describe a lot of these chapters is just like full-on farce but in like the best possible way absolutely like in particular like to fast forward slightly to the scene where they turn into birds there's like there's so much happening in that scene like carter is flying into a fence sadie is stood laughing at him and bast is like doing like mimicking the birds because she's stalking them and trying not to eat them yeah and there's just so much unhinged shit going on and it's so funny no yeah like it's it's that it's there's 
like we talked last episode i think about how like oh this book isn't funny <laughs> but <laughs> this is that's not true anymore these were funny chapters this is where all the jokes were hiding yeah exactly um i i think like part of the thing too is that we finally discover like the structure of the book yeah definitely like oh okay i get it we're going to be going from famous place where a relic is where like some egyptian relic is to some other famous place and just kind of ping-ponging around the world yeah more more of a kind of globe-trotting adventure than percy jackson which was usually like quite restricted to america yeah the american road trip versus mm-hmm. like the like you said globe-trotting adventure and i think it's it's really kind of like the thing is is that it's still not focusing on those like locations really I really like the way that, like, Paris is described in this. Uh-huh. For exactly that reason. Where it's like, it's not like, oh, the sunny streets and everyone's out eating croissants in uh, overpriced corner cafes. It's like, no, it's fucking horrible out here today. Everybody is inside. Yeah, it's just a fucking rainstorm. Nobody wants to be outside. Same with the Washington Monument, actually. They, they, yeah. They're there after hours. There are no tourists. They're just sitting inside of it, fucking having a picnic. It, 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 I feel like it grinds the world quite a lot. It adds some texturing to it. Because it makes it feel like, for all the like really weird shit that's going on, like they are, they are still going to places that, like, no, this doesn't look like a postcard all the time. Sometimes it is just kind of crap. Yeah, and not only that, but them always being like sort of on the underside of things in that way mm-hmm. kind of goes back to that thing about urban fantasy we were talking about before, where like yeah. it feels like this is all happening just where you can't see it. Like, oh, it's Definitely. after hours in the monument, you know, that's when that's when the magicians will play. Well, they do climb up the side of the Louvre. That is very true. <laughs> but nobody's Rod outside, did. so it's fine. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. What do you think of this concept presented here that like it's not that like things were created in Egypt and now they have the power, but that like things are like have the shape, like p- the, the, the Louvre pyramid is a pyramid of Egypt in that way. Like, what do you think of that? I, I, I quite like the idea. Cause I think it builds on um, something that Amos talked about in one of the earlier chapters, which was like, do you think the Egyptians would have been stupid enough to worship gods who weren't real? Yeah. So like it, it kind of grounds this idea that, like, okay, the ideas that went into Egyptian architecture were, like, drawn from these, like, broader magical principles, which is why it works, like, when someone else does it as well. Right, so right. I think it gels really well with some of the stuff we've already got with the world building. Yeah, I'm into it in that way. It's also interesting because it does definitely connect also with Rick Riordan's, like, fascination with the legacies of, like, how these cultures and their mythologies like affect the world today in that way. Mm-hmm. Like this is a lot. This is a, this recalls back a lot to like, oh, if you think about it, like all of Washington D.C. is one big monument to the Greek gods because it's all like the Greek architecture and stuff. I did find it quite funny that they could see all the stuff that was cited as like a monument to the Greek gods from the window of the Washington Monument. <laughs> yeah, like the world's <laughs> biggest obelisk, and also. And also there's pillars over there. It's funny. It's very funny. Um, but so there's like that thematic connection, I guess, or mm. ideological connection. What do you call that? I don't know. It it sure is an idea that Rick Ryden is very preoccupied with. It's definitely. Hey, Zia's backstory is fucked. 
Yeah, yeah, no, she's... Her dad was trying to make some extra money by helping, like, archaeologists pillage ruins and find artifacts and stuff. And, like, which is just, like, a thing, obviously, Uh in real life. But, like, and then brings home... Yeah, and then brings home one and accidentally, like, opens it and unleashes a fucking fire monster. And now she has fire powers, too, because she has, like, fire trauma. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, I didn't even really put that together, but yeah. It's very sad. I do find it quite funny that, like, halfway through her relating this story about how, like, oh, she doesn't even remember any of her parents at this point because of all the trauma... Carter is like thinking, man, it sure would suck if I couldn't remember my parents because of trauma. (laughs) I'm continuing to say this. Carter is the fucking funniest boy alive. Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, there's two dimensions to it. One, he doesn't say anything out loud. Uh Uh-huh. And also, this is just like, it's a good place to drop in some of that backstory about um, what their mom was like before we learn more about how she died later. Yeah, it really kind of solidifies the kind of person. Like, oh, she was very, very sciencey, very like, yeah. oh, like let me explain to you how the world works. Actually, like their dad covered the the very like mythological side of things, like the grandeur of the world, but she covered like here's you know we, we get the grandeur. How does the actual like how does that rainbow happen? Yeah, and also the little implication that like she was doing it because like to know beyond the science was too dangerous is a is very interesting and fun. Yeah, it's a nice little detail about how, like, protective she might have been. Uh, especially given how she died, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is protecting someone. What do you think is the deal with Orb? Orb? Uh, so, Orb. In, in, in chapter... Not chapter one. What is it? Chapter six? Seventeen. 17. In chapter seventeen, uh, Carter sees through an invisibility spell that Zia has cast, allowing her to, like travel not travel through but like you know go invisibly Mm -hmm. to the place where her like pictures of her family are but like he also sees like a blue orb just like leaving her body at one point yeah and And, she doesn't know anything about that when he mentions it like she has no idea what he's on about i my theory with orb Uh is that maybe like all the magicians of the first gnome right maybe all the gnomes are like maybe they're being like sapped of their magical orbs to like create some big power i'm not sure mm-hmm. maybe this is dejaden's infamous plan well but this was happening before iskadan died iskander iskandor that's the whatever the fuck you pronounce it <laughs> i understand um yeah, this happens before he dies and Desjardins takes over. Yeah, no, that is interesting. That's, hmm. I th- I think there's there's two more piece, pieces of the puzzle that we will need before we can solve this. Okay. So I feel in a novel like this, it is inevitable that we will get Snake and also Door. And then we will have <laughs> Orb and Snake and Door, which are the three pieces you need to put together any kind of weird nighttime dream sequence. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I started listening to the Shrieking Shack again recently. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> how is it? Uh, hearing them talk about how they're going to cover Cursed Child one day, mm. I imagine is like how Firefly fans feel. <laughs> I, surely they'll it, listen. I here's my feelings. I'm sure they'll come back to it someday. 
especially, I hope so. I, I think especially if, like, I don't know, if that fucking shitty-ass cursed child movie gets off the ground. I'm so hopeful. I simultaneously really hope it doesn't, and, like, also really hope it does because of that. Yeah, that, like, it might it might summon the Shrieking Shack back from the grave, and that, that could be its only redeeming quality. God. Anyway, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I derailed. No, it's totally fine. You know what? What's up? I really hope that Zia and Carter get to go to the mall and have a fun time. Yeah, no, same, honestly. Like, I don't know. Rick Riordan did a very good job on this chapter of building a connection between these two characters and making me actually, like, think, like, oh, these are some characters with, like, some, like, some dynamics, some chemistry, like that kind of thing, and like some character parallels too. Yeah, I can and, see them chilling out together outside of the story. Yeah, and like I can also see like why Carter would have a crush on her also. Absolutely. And so I'm I I've now I've bought into it, and so I am I'm rooting for them. Definitely. Have you ever read Animorphs? No, but I know it by reputation. Animorphs is a really good book series about the the trauma of war. Um, This is not a joke. About alienation from a community, about not knowing who you can trust in wartime, and uh, the loss of innocence of youth, about child soldiers. Um, And also uh, in like book three, one of them gets permanently turned into a bird because he likes being a bird too much. Oh, no. So he accidentally he accidentally stays as a bird for over twenty four hours because he is like a bad home life and also is has dysphoria and is trans. Uh, uh, I see. And this is my vision. Um, I first like for a fucking second when Sadie got stuck as a bird, I was so scared. <laughs> I was like, it, it was a, it's a very funny moment because Sadie's like making fun of Carter not being able to get into bird form fast enough. And then she's like too into bird form. And she can't become not bird when the fruit bats are killing her. Yeah. Uh, but also I was like, oh God, what if she stays a bird throughout the book or something? <laughs> God, that would be incredibly funny. Yeah. My, well, my, well, my, my second thought was that, oh, Sadie didn't actually manage to get in with them. This is just some other bird that landed in with them, and he thinks it's Sadie, so he's talking to it. It would be extremely funny if Carter had, like, escaped and, like, taken a bird with him and then realized later, oh, fuck, this isn't Sadie. She's still in Paris. (laughs) God, yeah, that'd be really good. (laughs) Another... This is actually, like, a chapter that I would consider, like, I don't know, probably the funniest so far, because I think the setup and payoff of, like... Like Carter and Doughboy looking through all the books, um, finding like, oh, the mastery of the elements. Oh, here's one about a, a spell to summon fruit bats. Why would anyone want that? And then like three pages later, oh god, this is why they wanted the spell to summon fruit bats. It's <laughs> it's, it's it's set up even before then. I think at the start of chapter seventeen, Carter is like, All right, before I tell you about the fucking fruit bats. <laughs> Yeah. And so I mean, the, when they find the fruit bat book, you know that something horrible is going to happen. God, yeah, yeah. It's I this is a this is a a, a good a good moment of 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 humorous plot. Fuck what am I saying? This chapter is very funny. It's a it's a it, it's it's very funny and it's a good <laughs> chapter. Is there anything you're not so impressed by with these chapters? I have some nitpicks. Sure. 
why is Desjardins' um, magic door on his roof? Why is it worse <laughs> than a regular door with a lock? Uh huh. You just if if someone's like won't even keep out like a normal mortal person. Because like the the whole deal with the door is like it's just a hologram of a door, and there's actually right. like, no wall there. But right. if a burglar tries to get in, they'll try the handle, and the handle just go through it. I'm guessing, like, it's a magical barrier that keeps people out in that way. Like, maybe that's the thing of it. Like, it, I don't know. So, like, it convinces you that there is a locked door there. It's not just that there is a hologram of one. Sure, yeah. Hey, speaking of doors, what's the deal with his red door? They spend an awful lot of time on that. They There is a paragraph of dialogue where they're just like, what is the symbolism of the red door on his house? <laughs> This is why English class is so important <laughs> because people the people are always like oh it doesn't fucking matter what the color of the curtains are it doesn't matter it doesn't mean anything the author just wanted to write that the curtains are blue that's not true the author is warning you that blue is the color of chaos <laughs> and chaos <laughs> and that chaos means that there's going to be a big monster running out of it or something see i i i, I feel the impulse to be the pedant in this situation and, and ask a very simple question that none of them did, which is, what if the door just came with the house and he couldn't be bothered uh-huh. to change it? <laughs> Maybe the door was just red and he liked the color. Surely if he's like got this fucking decked out mansion, he got to like Animal Crossing customize design it, right? That's, you know what, that's probably... Uh, maybe it's like... Because it's in like um, a, a fairly expensive part of the city, right? Yeah. So, like, maybe it's, like, an old mansion and, like, the council say that you can't renovate it or change certain things about it. Oh, that makes sense, I think. Hey, you know, I'm more into Dejaden as a character now. Like, even though we haven't, even though we haven't seen more of him, really, now that I've, like, learned why he's, like, like that, I can, I'm kind of invested in the conflict there. Yeah, we get a bit more about what his deal is, which makes him... A bit more compelling than just the magician that is bad. Right, because the thing with magicians is that, like, I don't know, there's an interesting conflict here. Because, like, Julius and Dejaden are explicitly set up as, like, they've been in so many arguments, they're enemies, he doesn't like them because they're Julius's kids. Mm -hmm. And they're also two very different flavors of how they became magicians. Because Dejaden, uh, his great uncle was the fucking like guy who like deciphered the hieroglyphs on the Rosetta Stone or whatever. Uh-huh. Some fucking French dude who like you know, he was like the you know an Orientalist or whatever his job was. Mm. Um, and you know, and so like coming into like magic from that line is very different than from like not just like being from Egypt, but also being like the bloodline of the pharaohs or whatever. God, that didn't even occur to me, but maybe, like, the fact that his great-uncle was an archaeologist and, like, pillaged the Rosetta Stone is why Julius thinks that, thought the Dejardin was just such a huge piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's, there's like, a chance. I also, like, think it's fun to imagine their little ideological spats. Like, Mm -hmm. like their fucking, like, sitting room. Like, I don't know. I guess we learned that Julius, like, threw punches once with like uh their grandparents so maybe maybe it wasn't so like civil as all that but <laughs> but yeah i'm i'm definitely more interested now i think it's funny that that 
I don't know, the frame of reference for, like, this guy looks like Hugh Jackman. I think that's so fucking funny. <laughs> the huge jacked man is, is indeed on everybody's minds. What do you think of, like, the theory that he's, like, possessed by Set? Like, I think it's, too like, obviously too obvious, right? Yeah, no, the, it's, it's being, like, talked about and explained in too much detail too early on for it not to be, like, subverted later. Right, because the thing... Like, obviously, like, you you read chapter 17, you open it up, and you see Set say, Bonsoir, Amos, or whatever he fucking uh-huh. says. Uh, why did I say his name like that? He says, you see Set fucking say, like, Bonsoir, Amos. And... Listen, French people say words all fucked up. Amos, Bonsoir, San Louis. <laughs> now, now, Jane, wait a moment. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to remind you that the person who said Saint Louis was not, in fact, French. I, I was. I, I told you at the time I was imitating their mannerisms. I see. I see. Uh, t- you know, before you hunt and eat them, <laughs> like bass. <laughs> God. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> the I, I'm not convinced, um, especially because I. You know what? Actually, I don't know. It could be true, right? Because. Right now, we've got Set as an antagonist. We've got Dejardin and the House of Life as an antagonist. But it does seem to still be building up, like, maybe there's a greater threat out there. And so I could see, like, the two more, like, on-the-surface antagonists tying together in that way. Like, before the big threat is revealed. That's very possible. I, I'm, in two, I'm in kind of two minds about this. Because I think on the one hand, there is, like, the lore answer. Which is, like... He, uh, Desjardins was at the Rosetta Stone when Set got out. Yeah. And if, like, everybody who was there got a god, that would also explain where Set's wife went, which is, it's a question that's raised in these chapters, where she ended up. And the answer in that case would obviously be Zia. Yeah, that's, that would make a lot of sense. On the other hand, I think it's much more interesting if Desjardins is just a shithead with his own agenda. Yeah. I feel like that would be, that would make for a, a better book overall. Yeah, I I think I'm waiting to see right now. Mm-hmm. Like, especially because we've seen so little of Dejardin, and I don't imagine we'll see a lot of him. Uh, yeah, no, he's very. That... He seems to be very much like behind the scenes kind of antagonist. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Although I guess we only have like four chapters of that precedent to know so far. True. Uh, speaking of which, we're like halfway through the book now. Are we? Oh my god. Yeah, we've we've covered like twenty chapters. I uh, see. The thing is that um, a little peek behind the curtain. I didn't buy the books individually. Uh huh. I found a like multi pack on the Kindle store, which was like all three as one file, basically. Yeah. So I've I've been using that, which means I have absolutely no concept of how far through the book we are. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No. <laughs> this is a like a forty-one chapter book. I see. And okay. We, we've covered twenty. I got it. So congratulations, us. We did it. Halfway through another children's book. Yay. I I feel like these chapters kind of do what I was hoping would happen early on. And they kind of retroactively justify a lot of the wonky shit that we got. Oh, like like uh, some of the clunkier beginning chapters and stuff? Yeah, like how... I think I remember saying well, when we were reading the first chapter, like it feels like there is a set of coherent mechanics here, but we're just not being told like how they work. Right. And it's just, it's going off in the background, and if it can, like, explain them properly later, that'll be satisfying. 
Uh-huh. And I feel like that is what happens in these chapters. Right, like everything has been explained now. We get how this book works. Now we understand why those chapters were built that way. Yeah, we understand like what happened in the museum because a lot of stuff happens very quickly that's not explained at the time in that chapter. So yeah, it's it's nice to have that, that confirmation and to know that the, it wasn't just completely flying by the seat of its pants. Yeah, I I think um, in that respect, one thing that I really appreciate from these chapters is like, I guess like the portrayal of the gods. Uh-huh. Like we, we see, we see them, I, I'm talking specifically about Nut. Um, we mm-hmm. see Nut as like this, this like, so the deal with Nut is that she's like, her, she doesn't have like a human host. Her host is literally like the sky. Uh-huh. Um, and I think there's a lot of work done in these chapters to make all the gods feel so much more like primordial forces in that way. Yeah, definitely. But also, like, I don't know. There's so many little things that really add up to making this feel very, I guess I'll just say, like, unique from Percy Jackson's portrayal of gods. Mm-hmm, because up until now, it, it was kind of similar. Like, we ragged on Sep basically being, like, Kronos 2.0 yeah but we never we never had anything in percy jackson that was like how nut comes across in these chapters right the moment that she like flickers everything out of existence for a moment like in her room and just like turns into the sky again for a second yeah like that's oh that really like just like is striking um and it really deepens the tragedy of like oh i really like feel for this like goddess who has been separated from the fucking earth forever and will be forever more yeah um and not only that but things like things like the idea that bast was trapped in the needle to like fight a monster forever it's like these little things that really that really flesh out this um i guess mythos that the story is building in a very nice way like, it has its own unique texture now, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it definitely helps to mitigate one of the things that we were worried about early on, mm-hmm. which was, like, the the unintentional and slightly eyebrow-raising, like, portrayal of the Egyptian gods as, like, almost barbarous compared to the Greek ones. Right. But I think, like, now that a bit more work has been done to, like, texture the way that the Pantheon works... I think like it it comes across more, a lot more as like, you know, not like offhandedly, accidentally racist or anything, and more like a genuine attempt to do something distinct. Yeah, because like we we're not seeing like politicking from these gods. Mm-hmm, definitely not. That's a very distinct feature that we saw, that we saw in Percy Jackson. There was all sorts of fucking god politicking. They were backstabbing and wheeler dealing all the fucking time. And this is leaning fully into like the grand mythological like the cycle like destiny um these grand forces uh like like the sky and the earth and you know chaos and fire and cats and you know it's 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 it it really because it's leaning into that it it's making me appreciate the story more because it also Mm -hmm. helps give the book its own unique feeling definitely Definitely, yeah. The, the the gods in this world do not, like, plot and scheme in the way that the Greek gods did. Osiris will just climb in a fucking coffin because Set asks him to. It's just, it's, right. it's just that kind of setup for a story. 
Right. And not only that, but like Osiris will climb into the coffin and will also climb into the coffin again. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Damn set shit. will tra- <laughs> <laughs> set will trap Julius in the coffin and Julius have, has combined with Osiris. So it's happening again. Like Horus will defeat set. And now Carter as Horus will defeat set. Like it's it's this it's this like repetition. Uh, it's this it's this focus on repetition that we talked about a little bit by the end of Percy Jackson, but more in the context of like, oh, the gods are like repeating the cycle of mythology to like, for numerous reasons that you know listen to the episodes about Percy Jackson. Yeah. Uh, because that's ends up kind of I feel like being like the thesis of the books in some ways, not like entirely, but like a, a grand part of like what the fuck is the deal? Yeah, definitely. But I'm I, I I'm I'm digging it. These good books so far. Good book. Man, I can't wait to be a worthless piece of shit and play out these ancient Egyptian stories all day. How oh, fuck I'm falling <laughs> down the inevitable cycle of history, repeating itself over and over again. I fucking <laughs> warned you about the inevitable cycle of history, bro. I warned you. <laughs> God, thank you, Jane, for. <laughs> The first Homestuck reference of the episode. Fuck. <laughs> God. Oh, speaking of, like, funny stuff in these chapters... Uh-huh. I really enjoyed, like, um, Carter and Sadie's reaction to finding out that they were, like, gods bonded to their souls. Was this funny to you? It was extremely funny. It was pretty funny, actually. Because Carter, like, what is it he says? It's like, oh, there's a god in my head. Someone get a can opener. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he is fucking no. out of it immediately. <laughs> Yeah, he's fucking like Sadie is like banging her fists against her head. It's 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 a it's like deeply like oh these kids are so fucked up, but like also very funny in that way. They're having an extremely bad day. Yeah, and I think you mentioned something last episode about like we're going to see these characters kind of come together more because they are all that they have in the world, and that's kind mm-hmm. of explicitly laid out in these chapters. Yeah, that's pretty much just the conversation that they have in the Washington Monument. I mean, it's that, and it's also, like, there's a whole part where Sadie is thinking to herself, like, I wouldn't really want to leave Carter behind because he's all that I have left in this world. And, and then she's it, like, and that that's incredibly sad for me, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad that, like, these characters are building up their distinct identities still in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I am glad that, like, that we're getting to see that relationship still happen. Yeah, definitely. What, you didn't tell me, do you have a theory about the, the orb? Oh, no, I just wanted to talk about orb and snake and door. Okay, well, never mind then. Rick, Rick sure loves himself a, like, goddess sits the child characters down and summons them some sandwiches and crisps moment. It's just, like, good. It's good. It's, it's not necessarily a criticism, it's just an observation that it happens a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're exactly right. <laughs> like, this happens not, like, every book, but, like, Hera did it. And... Like, uh, Hestia, are... Hestia did it as well, I think. I think so. I think so. Uh, she at least gave them a nice fire to sit by. She de- No, she definitely fed them when they came out of May Castellan's house. Okay, right. Yeah, there was no good food in there. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, I, I'm, like... Yeah, so this is this is a common one. Bast ba- Bast returns in these chapters after a, a, a short leave. Speaking of notes, I wrote Bast is back. Pog. 
Yeah, she's she's pretty poggers, to be honest. I was kind of tired of Bass last time we saw her, but I'm I'm into her again. Well, yeah, we've seen the alternative, which is hanging around the House of Life. Uh huh. So relatively, you know what? We'll take the cat girl with a bunch of fucking squares. <laughs> Just children who mutter spells in their sleep all night, like a fucking scene from Midsommar. <laughs> I think also, like, we get a lot more characterization for Bast beyond just, like, the surface level. She's the funny cat who likes to uh, bash around wrecking balls and has knives. Yeah, like, she's the funny cat with trauma. She's the funny cat with trauma from Aeon spent fighting, like, fighting in the fucking warp from Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> And also, like, deep regret and a degree of guilt about what freeing her from the needle did to the kid's mom. Yeah, like, you can really, like, why did she spend all those years as Muffin? Well, it's it's pretty obvious now. Yeah, no, you can definitely see why when Julius was like, hey, could you protect my daughter? She was like, yeah, no, I've got an obligation to do this. And not only that, but, like, I can imagine that just like having a nice fucking life as a cat for a while probably was pretty luxurious to her. Yeah, that probably was actually pretty good. I mean, she seems to like cat food just fine. She conjures up a shitload for herself. That's, you know, kind of unhinged, but sure. (laughs) Like, the thing with Bast is that it's also adding, like, to a lot more, like, intrigue. Because we, we see that, like, she offered to, like, merge with Ruby. I I, I, like, I like a lot of the stuff we get from Bast about the gods because it goes back to something that I really liked in Percy Jackson. Yeah. Which was the idea of like having all of these different factions in the world with their own perspectives on what's going on. Right. And like not really having like a proper universal authority on what the protagonists are supposed to think. Right, right. Because like the, both the House of Life and the gods they've met both have like their own distinctive ideologies each fueled by like well sketched out reasons for like them to want to propagate those ideologies no Which is definitely. just like that's that's just nice world building i just enjoy seeing that happen agreed and the conversation with nut helps a lot with that too definitely i i was so glad that we were getting like the idea of set as chronos 2.0 like we're getting that questioned thank god yeah, because she's like, hey, you know, Set isn't just, like, some evil monster. He's, one, part of my family. Two, like, he stopped the world from ending for a long time. You know, he may be a giant CGI dogman, but you would be surprised by how well a CGI dogman can fight off Apophis when he's trying to destroy the sun. That's right. That's right. God. Yeah, no, like, um... First of all, shout-outs to uh, Jacqueline from uh, a few episodes ago for pointing that out. <laughs> catch up rick god god (laughs) um and secondly like her talking more about like it won't just be the end as soon as you defeat set like that's um i think that's a like like you said that's a needed complication definitely doughboy's back doughboy's back doughboy is um he is a horrible little troll and frankly, he should be. Yeah. He's being forced to work under duress. No, definitely. Yeah. He's not, he's not being paid. He's allowed to fuck with them. Yeah. The, the I think the one joke that did, I don't know if it fell flat or if this was how it was supposed to feel 
was like, oh, the five elements, fire, water, air, earth, and cheese. Like, it's, it did feel like a very, like, again, like, 2010s LOL XD random joke. That did, like, yeah, I, that was very much what that was. Uh, but, I don't know. Overall, like, I, Doughboy is an addition that I can appreciate. <laughs> Just this little asshole in, in your pocket. This cranky little fuckhead who is technically supposed to do whatever you want, but will hate you for it. And will not hesitate to remind you that you're a piece of shit for keeping it. Definitely. Like, that's just the that's just like a good character to have. Definitely. Hey, what do you think of Sadie's uh, weird, like, dream crush person? Yeah, I, I actually want to ask you this. I, I want to turn that back around on you. What do you think of oh, Sadie's weird dream crush person? I've been Uno reverse carded. I think it's Anubis. You think it's Anubis? Mm-hmm. Why do you think this? Because you were pretty strongly anti-theory that this was a god last time. I was uh, anti-god theory last time, but uh, there was a line he had this time which was like, dreaming is very close to like the domain of death or something. Uh-huh. And that, along with the black robe, leads me to believe that, like, you know, Rick's, Rick's using recognizable imagery of, like, a mythological figure who deals with death, so... I don't think it's insane to assume that it might be Anubis. I don't think that's entirely out of the out of the question. Do you think that like do you think there then that that like kind of discards the idea that this will be like a romance character? I hope so. <laughs> Why do you hope so? I <laughs> uh, well, I guess, hmm. I mean, I guess if it's just like a host that Anubis is bonded, uh huh, and is like you know not taken over by the thousands of year old god, and then it won't be weird. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, yes, the cycles of things. Cycles, etc. Etc. It keeps happening. It keeps happening, bro. (laughs) Oh god, the fucking, the fucking Eternals, dude, bro, and hell, dude, bro. I can't. I don't. (laughs) I've never read Homestuck. (laughs) Dude, bro, and hella Jeff is a good AU. Uh, the fucking sweet bro and hella Jeff meme as a like reference reference plate works surprisingly well. It's it's worrying. It is. Rick Ryder I mean, I should, may, read, should read Homestuck. I may need to slap this together in paint.net and put it on the Camp Half-Blood subreddit <laughs> to see what happens. It's. I would be surprised. <laughs> I think, I think frankly, everyone in that subreddit is too young to have read Homestuck. I think that's true. Everyone in there seems like 15 years old at most. Yeah. Which I guess means that this isn't, like, just a book, like... I guess that that means that this was, like, a series with staying power, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. Kids are still reading Percy Jackson. Kids are still reading The Kane Chronicles. Kids are still reading Magnus Chase. And, like, I think that's that's pretty fun. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm glad that it's not just, like, the 20-somethings revisiting the old series and stuff. Which I'm sure there are plenty of those, too. I mean, that, that is just us. That is us. I, I wonder how You're... much of that is a result of, like, Rick getting a huge bump in readership when J.K. Rowling turned out to be, like, way more of a piece of shit than we thought. I'm sure there's a little bit. Like, I'm sure people were like, Who, what? I'm sure there were so many, like, threads, like, here's some good alternatives. And that, I was like, oh. That, the sentiment that I saw almost nonstop during that period was like, well, here's Percy Jackson, which is not terrible. Read this instead. Yeah, like here's here's a like very like queer accepting like series kind of thing. 
Definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Further to Carter being just, like, a little dweeb who doesn't know how to interact with people. Uh-huh. Immediately going stalker mode the moment he sees Zia doing something mildly suspicious in the street. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, oh, I know what I want to talk about. Oh. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm completely discarding what you were saying. Uh, I mean, this is just, like, ra- ragging on the character for no reason. What, what are you going to say? We're, this is the first time that... So we've seen, like, the multiple perspectives thing, like, affect the way that this book is happening in a few ways so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this might be the most significant. Because this is the first time in, like, any of these books that we've backed up and, like, on the timeline in a way that wasn't, like, having a vision or anything like that. Because, like... Oh, yeah. We, we, we're we not just, like, going... Progressing completely linear, linearly. Now that we're getting Carter's perspective, we're going back, seeing what happened to him on the night, like, that of that same night. And I think that's actually, like, a pretty interesting choice. Yeah, I think it's... I think a big part of it is probably to, like to add more suspense to the part where Zia gets the message saying to capture them. Yeah. Because if we'd had this moment where she is, like, so humanized and we really flesh out the relationship between her and Carter before that, it probably would have sucked all the tension out of it. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess this is, like, this is what we've been ragging on for weeks, is, like, this is a good use of the framing device. To, like, distribute our information and make scenes more suspenseful. You might be right, because even if this was just, like, a book told from multiple perspectives, it would feel kind of weird to back up like this. Yeah. But it makes sense if you're thinking about, like, these two kids trying to, like, tell their story, and one of them being like, no, 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 wait, let me back up, tell, like, what happened before this. Like, that makes sense in a really intuitive way. Shut up, back up, you missed a bit. That makes more sense than just dragging the narration back a bit. Yeah. It feels more natural. Yeah. And you know what? I, I will applaud Rick Riordan for that. We've, we've ragged on this plenty. Here's <laughs> a very good use of the framing device. Man, I can't believe it. I think these chapters really kind of were firing on all cylinders. We got good jokes. We got good character development. We got payoffs for a bunch of crap stuff we got earlier. The framing device is used properly. I really hope that they continue like this because th- these were a big step up in quality. I hope so. Like, and you know what? I'm confident that, like, I, I, I'm confident that we're continuing on a good path because I, I just want to give a sneak preview of the next chapter that we're going to read. Oh. Because I read, like, the first three lines and it was the fucking funniest thing I've ever heard. So, you know, just close your eyes and listen to me. I'm closing my eyes. I'm, I'm in the space. I'd seen pictures of the creature before. But pictures didn't come close to capturing how horrible it was in real life. The set animal, Bass said, conturing my fear. What the fuck is the set animal? (laughs) (laughs) That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. I... What the fuck? (laughs) I'm I'm very excited. I same. Um, I was worried that the star-spangled goddess thing was going to be like a... a, same same i I was worried this is like a it wasn't actually ended up being pretty clever because like they were in the washington monument and like it was kind of a a a cute little you know nod i guess a cute little like like, 
literally cover star spangled in that way i was just worried it was gonna be like oh there's an america goddess or some shit like that what i what i I was worried it was gonna be something even worse Uh uh-huh which was gonna be like oh you know i i'm one of the egyptian gods but i live in america now so i'm gonna wear uh, an american flag baseball cap or something (laughs) which would just be kind of weird and gross that's so fucking funny so i'm glad that isn't that what happened I mean, that's, like, very, like, Percy... That would happen in Percy Jackson is the thing that would happen. Yeah, definitely. Like, you would get... I mean, we probably did get, like, I don't know, Hermes wearing, like, a fucking American flag sneakers or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the party ponies, I guess, are, like, a slightly more mild version of that in that they're just, like, a bunch of frat bros in, like, a very, like, typically American way. Right, and the same with, like, Ares, who is a very stereotypical American biker yeah so yeah it's a very percy jackson thing that i'm glad didn't happen yeah it would feel very different but i feel like there's a lot of extra baggage doing that with the egyptian gods that you don't have with greek gods yeah you know i think maybe unless you have any final things it might be good to call it here yeah i I don't think there's anything else to say really just good solid chapters I think the problem is that we have been so focused on the negatives that I'm, I'm kind of, I need to get back into learning how to talk about good things. We've, we've been flummoxed and blindsided by the book suddenly becoming good. Yeah, like I, I liked it before. I was enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I was hype about these chapters is the thing. Hell yeah. So if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls for all of our links, Discord, Patreon, all that shit links to our own twitters uh patreon.com is where you can support us uh one dollar a month it gets you a special role in our discord server which we forgot to talk about again we forgot to talk about it uh but currently it's uh, a camp counselor for three dollars a month you get a special role of friend of dionysus and all of our bonus content we talk about things like like homestuck we talk about you know the bad doctor who uh happy doctor who day everyone um, oh yeah, that about... is Doctor Who Day. Yeah, I saw that trending on Twitter. We sometimes don't talk about things. Sometimes the episodes just contain 30 seconds of unedited silence because I think it's funny. That's right. <laughs> sometimes you're like, maybe I should leave in like a few minutes of, maybe I should leave in like 10 minutes of us just reading a webcomic. And then I say, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, I just I... cut that bit out, don't worry. Okay, good. Um... <laughs> uh, and for $5 a month, you get the special role of Aphrodite's Chosen, all of the bonus content, and a shout-out at the end of episodes. Speaking of, this week, we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Oh, wait, did we come up with another one of these? I don't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Our brains are square and we are often confused. Bye. Bye.